Welcome to Act to Age, a podcast where two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. My name is Corinne. And I'm Tasia. And today we are talking about book two in the Folk of the Air trilogy, The Wicked King by Holly Black. And we are so excited to be joined by our friend Tiffany for the first time on the podcast. Hey, Tiffany. Welcome. Hi. Thanks so much for joining us here today. Tiffany has been one of our longest running fans thinks that we have fans. It's very nice that you, that anyone listens to this (laughs) podcast, but uh, I know that you've always been reading along with a lot of what we've covered and we really appreciate it. Why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah. I think I'm actually caught up on every book that you guys have read and like listened to the podcast now. I was, it took me a while because there were some like series in there that I had to catch up on, but yeah, I love uh, YA fantasy so I'm super excited to be, be chatting with you guys. I think we know each other through Game of Thrones. So fantasy, yep. the commonalities is always there. But I forget all the time that I know so many people because of Game of Thrones. Yeah. If you're diving into this podcast or the first time you never listened to our intro episode, which don't listen to our intro episode. Like I think I would <laughs> listen to it. it would, I'd be very embarrassed. <laughs> I, I can't handle the, the cringe. The cringe yeah. is off the charts. But yeah, we all met through a Game of Thrones podcast that turned into a community that had a book club amongst other things. And that's where a lot of our friends who've been on, uh, that's how we all know each other. And so we just love to continue that relationship now that Game of Thrones has ended and that podcast has ended too. And uh, we will live on. I love on. it though, because it, it lives on. Yeah. In the sense that also it has spawned like five other, at least five other podcasts that I know of. Exactly. And Tiffany, you are starting a podcast soon, right? Uh, Although with someone outside of that community, but still we're very excited for you if you want to plug that. It's a a TV recap analysis podcast for uh, the TV show Fargo. We'll probably cover the movie too, Um, but I'm just starting that. We'll be releasing weekly. The podcast is called Fargone Conclusion. So nice. Here uh, are thoughts on the, the interesting ways in which people can get murdered for doing different crimes. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. That's very exciting. I really love particularly the first season. Of Fargo I still have again. not seen it. I'll have to watch. I've actually watched all of season two because they're like standalone seasons. And uh, my partner who is his best friend is going to be my, is my co-host. And he talked uh, my partner into watching the whole first season but I missed it so I'm like okay I'll catch up with you guys in season two and then I loved it so much that I'm like all right we'll, we'll talk about it Excellent. so kind of going back and forth all right well uh before we get started here today too uh Tiffany was sharing with us to get us in the mood a ton of great Jordan fan art so like I'm super excited to talk about this book I think this is when we're really starting to ratchet up the peak Juden Carden Obviously, I think a lot of the peak is in the third book, but this is just really good simmering tension in this book, so I'm super excited to talk about it. But before we dive into that, what is everyone obsessing over this week, Tasia? <laughs> <laughs> I, I did just think of something. Oh, okay. Because Tasia has written in the, the Tasia has written in the notes. I got nothing, fam, which <laughs> is great. The problem when we do this week to week is that like we don't really have a ton of time for anything else, so. Yeah, it's basically just this and like the things I've already talked about, which is another ongoing series that I'm reading. So I'm not going to like talk about it every single week. But I guess if there is anything new, it is or somewhat new. The uh, 
new House of the Dragon teaser dropped. And uh, since we were talking about our Game of Thrones connection, um, it's funny because like after the, the disappointment of the final season and the final episode in particular, it was like, you know, I was ready to kind of like wash my hands of Game of Thrones, not not like entirely, like I still do rewatches and stuff, but like, you know, I wasn't, it wasn't my entire personality anymore. And uh, that, that teaser dropped and I'm right back in. I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready, ready to, to be make this again. show my entire personality again. So yeah, that's, that's that. It was funny last week I was editing the episode for the first book in the series. And I noticed that there were not one or two, but like three game of Thrones references that I think I personally made. And I was, I think I texted you Tasha, I'm like the power of the house of the dragon, one minute teaser trailer. Yeah. Cause I'm already like making multiple <laughs> song of ice and fire references. Friend of the pod Colby said something like, um, <laughs> what did he say? It was like, I'm ready for this toxic relationship to come back. That does look really good though. I'm really, mm-hmm. I'm really excited about that. I feel like I'm going to wait. I'm not, I'm not sure um, if I'm ready to get myself hurt again. I don't yeah. know. I just, are the wigs better? No, they might be worse. They might be worse. Okay. Uh, Tiffany though, it looks like you have a, an actual obsession. Not that you're yes. not to diminish you, Tasha. <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany well, has something here. This was a couple of weeks ago. And so I'm lucky in that I'm like just guesting that I can pull from the archives a little. Yeah. But this is the um, the Mistborn Saga by Brandon Sanderson. Um, mm. I picked this one in particular because it gives me a lot of like the Folk of the Air vibes in that uh, we have a, a murder girlfriend. We have a simping like boyfriend, husband, monarch type person. And it's a like this girl, um, Vin, she joins a bunch of thieves to basically kind of like overthrow the government and then they're in charge and they have to figure out how to deal with it and so there's a nice found family that also feels like kind of the court of the shadows and so I was getting a lot of those vibes when I was reading it and even more so on reread of this series. I've already had that book on my shelf for like a few months planning to read it but I think you just moved it up the up the list. I was so surprised how much I liked it. I was kind of expecting, like, I don't know, like, white male author, oh, is this going to be, like, a Game of Thrones, like, redux kind of thing? And Yeah. But you're not going to understand what made Game of Thrones interesting. You're just going to include a bunch of, like, abuse of women and stuff like that. But this was so much better than I expected, and I was very, very pleased with the, like, the main characters, uh, a woman who is, like, kind of a like feral you know murder girlfriend and but she still likes balls and likes likes getting dressed up and she's allowed to like explore romance there there are balls which is immediately like all right I'm in I'm in yeah we're we're doing this like oh political intrigue with fancy dresses give me so yeah that also sounds a lot like uh one Selena Sardothian from Throne of Glass it does. Very feral murder girlfriend who really likes to dress up and be pretty and go to balls. Yeah. I, I like that you said you weren't going to talk about the continuing series that you're reading, but you uh, <laughs> just bring, bring Thread of Glass in. I, I it mean, has you know my feelings. dug into my brain and it's there now. So thank you very much. How many books are there in the Miss Barn saga to date? 
I read three there. It looks like there's a second trilogy that like takes place in the same world. They're kind of like built together. Um, But I think it's like a huge like time jump. I haven't read it yet. I'm actually going to read a different trilogy by Brandon Sanderson next. And then maybe we'll circle back. So got it. Cool. I feel like I've seen a lot of it on bookstagram these days too. So having a resurgence or surgeons or <laughs> um, but I, I feel like I've seen it a lot of places lately. So that sounds very interesting. I did have a chance to squeeze in two books this week too. And I guess that works as an obsession because I just like, couldn't put them down. They're both the second books in planned trilogies of books that I read earlier this year. So one of them was The Gilded Cade, which is the sequel to The Prison Healer by Lynette Noni, which is a book I think I talked about on this podcast that I just kind of blew me away that I read earlier this summer. And the second book was was good. I enjoyed it. It was not quite as like mind-blowing to me as the first one was, but you know, second book in the trilogy introduced some new characters that I would die for. So I mean, like I was into it. And I could not put it down because I think her writing is just really propulsive and sucks you in. And I just wanted to know what happened and kind of leading up to a big moment at the end that like the writing was on the wall, the whole book. And I was just kind of watching like, oh no, it's coming, but like, I don't want it to come. I don't want it to come. And and then it came and then I was devastated. So I guess I was obsessed with that. Uh, And then the real surprise of the week though, was kingdom of the cursed, which is the sequel, the second book in the trilogy of. Uh, by Carrie Massolano. Maniscalco. Maniscalco. Oh, yes. Maniscalco. Thank you. Uh, I did look up YouTube pronunciation guides to that and I did it <laughs> wrong. So she wrote Kingdom of the Wicked, which came out last fall. I read earlier this year and it kind of took like Bookstagram by storm and like Book Talk by storm. I think the main love interest is one of the princes of hell in this world. They are named after the seven. They embody the seven deadly sins. So he, he's wrath. Prince of Wrath. And, you know, a lot of people were really into Wrath. And I thought the first book was fine. I was not particularly excited one way or the other for the sequel, but it was so good. <laughs> like, I would die for either of the characters now. Like, I love Wrath so, so much. He might be one of my favorite book boyfriends of the year. I really have no idea what's going on in this world plot wise. Could not tell you. (laughs) Don't know. But I also do not care. Like there's maybe a few too many balls in the air going on in this like world building. And I just, it's too much, but that's not what I'm there for. It's very much an antagonistic kind of enemies to lovers story. The flirting, the tension, the banter in the story was just chef's kiss. So good. There was a gala. She kept like giving us everything that we wanted. Like I was reading it along with friend of the pod, Jesse, and every page I would text her be like, oh my God, read this. We just kept saying, Carrie loves us and wants us to be happy. And that's what she gave us with this book. I just, it was so fun. And it ended on like a really, not really a cliffhanger, but it was like mean to the reader. I feel, I say that with love. Uh, and I just like, it was, it was just such a fun surprise for me because I was just kind of ambivalent on the first one. Uh, so that was really, really exciting. I totally am all in on like people being obsessed with wrath now he's i'm very like I, i've been dying to read this um some people on book talk got you know the arcs of it and have been talking about it for months and i've just been dying because i did like the first one i mean I, I really like wrath and amelia so i'm like 
you know, like you said, the plot stuff is not that consequential to me. I'm like very in on their relationship now or the development of it. So I told, and I I don't have time to read it yet. So I've been putting off buying it, but then I bought it yesterday because I have (laughs) self-control. So it is now sitting on my shelf and staring at me. I mean, I hope I didn't overhype it, but I feel like I couldn't. Like, it's just everything that was there is just what we like. It was like catnip. It was Mm -hmm. just very enjoyable. I mean, the plot of the series is somewhat compelling. Amelia is a witch and she has a twin who's murdered in the first book. And so she summons a demon, Prince from Hell, Wrath, to find out what happened to her sister. And then the second book continues that journey. So it's definitely like very interesting. It's set in Italy. So there's really, really good food descriptions. And then her family owns a restaurant. So yeah. So they're like constantly cooking. Uh, And there's really great fashion descriptions too. So it's a, a beautifully lush, rich world. And I just can't tell if it's just not super well plotted and executed or if I just don't care and I'm not paying attention <laughs> because that's not what I'm there for. And what I will say too is I think that Carrie Manasalco's teasing and leading up to this book was like a very well executed campaign because she shared just enough to make me excited and she like actually surpassed what she teased compared to uh I don't know how much we talked about on this podcast. I know I talked about it as an obsession at one point, the from blood and ash series by Jennifer L. Armentrout. I'm still mad at like book three because she teased so much and then didn't deliver like anything that I wanted. It was all a tease. Yeah, it was all a tease. So I, I I think that was, is part of why I liked it so much. Cause I was like, I'm not going to be hurt again. Like I was, Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and she just blew me away. So it was really fun. I still think it's really interesting that she's making the transition from like the first book was very, you know, built, uh, build as um, young adult. And she was very clear after that before, you know, in the months leading up to the release of Kingdom of the Curse, that she was moving away from that and going into uh, new adult yeah. and classifying Kingdom of the Curse as new adult and being very clear that there was going to be a lot more sexiness going on, a lot more spice. Um, so obviously that in itself was a very, very smart campaign to get people to pre-order the book and be excited about it because, you know, wrath. Yeah. Just Google like wrath fan art. And there's this, there's the one that she like officially mentioned. Mm-hmm. So it's like canon of what he looks like. It's just, it's the sounding. All right. Well, it's <laughs> not mean to go down. I like this path. was an extra log. Uh, intro it was that an extra today. log. That's all right. You know, we're chatting. It's fun. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> this is what it looks like listeners, like all of my Nintasia's off air conversations. So you're getting an insight <laughs> into that here today. Special bonus for you all. All right. Well, on that note, then let's dive into this book. I'm, wait, before we do, though, I'm also going to, again, blame Tiffany for sharing all of the sexy June Carden art with us before we got started, because now I'm just, like, hyped. Like, I'm ready. That's true. That's true. Tiffany, so, this was your fault. Yeah. So, yeah you okay. put us in that mindset, and we're yeah. here now. We can't leave. There's too much good fan art to not take a moment to. There really is. Yeah. And like we said, this, this fandom, I think has the best, the best fan art out there. So there's so many cool like concepts that I feel like people run with that Mm -hmm. is just super fun. Mm -hmm. Totally. Before we get started here, just a general disclaimer about this episode. While we promised that we would be covering this series spoiler-free so you could read along with it, we just want to be upfront about this book in particular because we are going to be very candid about the ending of this book. 
you're not going to be talking about anything that comes in the third book, but we are going to be using things that happen in this book to discuss the ending of this book, which is kind of a big shocking ending. So obviously our understanding of this book is informed by our knowledge of the entire series. But that said, we are going to be looking just specifically at this book and what it sets forth for you. So again, we're just going to be really candid about the ending. I'm not sure that I consider it a spoiler because again, we're talking about everything that is in this book. But if you'd like to kind of go into book three totally fresh without parsing through the ending in any great detail, maybe save this episode and then come back to it at a later time. Alrighty, Tasia, you are tasked with our book summary here today, which I pulled from a website that I forget the name of and I cannot cite the source of. So (laughs) (laughs) that's, that's that. Five months after the cruel prince ended, Jude is now worrying that her time to control Cardin is almost at an end. She has commanded him to never hurt her, but he might be able to work his way around that. Locke asks to become master of revels and Cardin agrees. Prince Balkin sends Cardin a letter asking him to, asking him to see him in prison. Jude goes in Cardin's place, but Belkin won't tell her anything. A prisoner grabs Jude and tells her that she knew Jude's mother and her secrets. Jude takes a prison guard called Volsaber back to the Court of Shadows because he's loyal to Belkin. Volsaber reveals that Queen Orla of the Undersea has been sending messages to Belkin. Taryn asks Jude to attend her wedding in the sisters' makeup. Someone shoots a crossbow at Cardin. Acacia admits that she went to seduce Cardin and found another woman in his bed. Nikasia was allegedly trying to kill the other woman. Jude asks Nikasia what her mother Orla is planning. Nikasia says Orla plans to marry Nikasia to Cardin, and if Cardin refuses, then Orla will flood the kingdom. Jude finds Taryn in her room. Taryn poses Jude to obtain a key. Jude recalls Nikasia telling her that someone she loves has betrayed her, and Jude thinks that person could be Taryn. Taryn asks Jude to speak to Cardin about Locke. Taryn doesn't like that Locke is now master of revels because he'll be gone a lot and she'll miss him. She's also worried he'll cause trouble. Some of Orla's people arrive and tell Cardin to marry Nikasia or else. Cardin wants to discuss this with the council. Cardin asks for Nikasia to be brought to the council meeting. Cardin says that he will not marry Nikasia and threatens to imprison her if Orla threatens him again. The woman who confronted Jude in the prison is Cardin's mother, Lady Asha. Jude decides to use her as a pawn in her schemes. Maddox suggests using Oak as bait during Taryn's wedding. Jude ultimately agrees. Jude asks Cardin to seduce Nikasia for information. Cardin gets angry with her, and then they spend the night together. Cardin gets information on Orla and her plan to attack during Taryn's wedding. Jude threatens Locke for his antics at the party. She says if he tries to undermine her again, she'll kill him. Jude goes to meet with her siblings and Heather at Maddox's house, but she is attacked on the way. She, she fights her attackers off and arrives at the house. Jude commands Cardin not to be alone to protect him. Maddox hears this and now knows that she is able to command the king. At the wedding, Jude realizes Locke was the one who attacked her. Ghost betrays Jude and allows her to be taken to the undersea where Orla is hosting Belkin, who she broke out of prison. Jude is tortured while in the undersea and pretends to be glamoured. Thinking she's under their control, Orla and Belkin order her to kill Cardin. A month later, Jude is taken back to the land after Cardin negotiated for her. Jude tells Cardin about everything she has learned. Cardin kisses Jude in front of everyone. Jude tastes the poison on his lips. Belkin tries to tell everyone that Jude poisoned the king using the poison he gave her as proof. Jude reveals that the glamour hasn't been working. She tells the crowd that Cardin is just drunk. After getting the antidote from Belkin, Jude kills him in a duel. Jude gets back to Cardin's room and realizes that Taryn has been there impersonating her again. Cardin says that Taryn, as Jude, 
said that Maddox needed to be released from his vow to Cardin. Cardin reveals that he wanted to prove to Jude that he could be trusted to make good decisions when he's not under her command. Cardin asks to be released from his own vow to Jude, and in exchange, he will marry her and make her queen. Jude agrees to this. Orla demands justice for Balkan's death. Cardin creates an island in the middle of the sea to prove that he could eliminate the sea if Orla continues to threaten him. Cardin banishes Jude from the fairy realm for killing Bilkin. Jude tries to claim that she is now queen, but no one but Cardin knew about that. Jude goes to live with Vivian Oak in the human realm. Jude starts to plan how to get back to the fairy realm. Ta-da! <laughs> so much plot. It is so plotty, and I actually turned that down a ton. And I think that's what's kind of a little hard about recapping this series, because part of the the what's so exciting about it and why we love it is the plot like it, it, it's very integral to the story and it's all the machinations and the scheming is is really fun to read but yeah just make it hard to summarize but I do like this book for all the plotting stuff and why I think I like it most is how it all affects Cardin so maybe that's the place where we can start today because I feel like this is not that the first book like didn't feature Cardin a lot, but I feel like this feels like a Cardin book to me because his mm-hmm. journey and his arc in this book feels a little more complete to me than Jude's does. And well, he feels like a more complete person. Mm-hmm. Like all yeah. I also think I think this book, like, I don't know, it shows more of the trend lines from Cardin's growth in the first book as well. Like yeah. you notice it more once you kind of get to know him in this book. And yeah. it's like, oh, that makes sense. And I, I really, yeah. Yeah. I'm like Cardin here <laughs> for many reasons. We're all very yeah. into Cardin, but like, I totally agree. You know, we get the reveal in the first book that his brother has been beating him and his brother obviously is not a good dude. And we get more of that here, but like the stuff we get from Cardin's backstory in this book is just really deeply upsetting to me and it hurts me. Um, you know, that moment where Jude in uh, the king's chambers finds these little like almost like crystal memory balls that, orbs. Yeah. And there's the memory of like baby Cardin just like wanting attention and not getting it from his mother until he is awful. And so yeah, you see him learning that habit where he realizes that um, good behavior isn't isn't appreciated isn't acknowledged but his bad behavior is and that's the only time anyone pays attention to him like his mother gives him affection after he's been terrible and later he talks about his relationship with his father you know i think he says something like he says something like if i couldn't have his favor i'd have his wrath yeah yeah he says something about that where he's like you know if if i couldn't be good then I would be worse. And it's very, very similar to uh, what Jude says in the first book, which is, um, you know, if, if I couldn't be better than them, then I would become so much worse. Yeah. And I love that connection between them. And she thinks that at that time too, and she hears him say that and she goes, how well I know that feeling. So like, it's mm-hmm. a great parallel for the two of them, but yeah, I totally agree. And then Jude ruminating on like where Cardin's come from is really important. And then Cardin's own like self-reflection on where he's come from is great. I mean, Jude says this at one point too, this is something that comes up from the, that she learns about Cardin's background story too, that he was uh, fed on cat milk and neglect to be arbitrarily beaten by the brother you most resembled and who most seemed to care for you. Imagine all those courtiers bowing to you, allowing you to hiss and slap at them. But no matter how many of them you humiliated or hurt, you would always know 
someone had found them worthy of love when no one had ever found you worthy. <laughs> oh, knife to the heart. And I think it makes all the Jude and Carden stuff so interesting too, because so much of this book is Carden um, trying desperately to prove to Jude that he can be trusted and that he can, you know, he's learning to not just accept his role as this, as the monarch, but to enjoy it or to like it and to find some sort of fulfillment in it. And um, he he's trying to get Jude to, to trust him in that. And he's showing her a bunch of times like, Oh, like look at how I trust you. You see how I trust you. Will you trust me? And it makes it even more devastating that, um, you see where he's come from and that he's never felt that love or affection or anything and how desperate he is to get it. One thing I really like about this, this book and I, and going back to, you know, kind of stuff you see happening in the first one is as soon as Cardin is stripped away from being like part of his family, he completely changes. Like in the court of shadows, he's like sleeping on a cot in a room, like not fret. And Jude's like, remarking on I bet he's never done this before but he's totally chill with all of it he really falls into this sense of like comfort he's intrigued by the roach and like doing all of these new things and then as he becomes king like he's is under dude's control but I feel like he has so much more latitude to just like explore who he wants to be and like he doesn't have to be cruel he only has to like sit there and be king and I just think that's really interesting to see him kind of try on new, new roles and prove that he can be a much better person without his shitty family. Yeah. That's a really good way to look at it. I I think, you know, yes, being stripped away from his family is very beneficial to him. And then just the power of Jude Duarte's influence on his life is obviously really important as well. But yeah, I think it's so fascinating to track his journey in this book from like how the Roach says, you know, he's playing it being king and he's really being a spy. And then you see these little moments where, you know, he can't lie. And so he's saying things to Jude, like, I don't, I don't hate it. I don't hate being king. And then to the very end where he says, you know, you made me the high king, Jude, let me be the high king. Like he knows that he is in the position to actually, uh, be a good king while they continue to wait out, you know, coming of age. And yeah, you see the culmination of that arc too. And in the end with that display of power um, to Orla and the undersea where he, you know, raises the new Island and you see, because they they make a big deal throughout this book of, of how the monarchs are connected to the land. Like they like directly influence the land and you see that huge display of power and you see that, you know, what he's willing to do to protect his people and to, and to be this good leader And I just think it's the culmination of just a really great arc for him throughout this. He starts off just, you know, still kind of morose and drunk and not really interested in anything except for like the spy games and stuff. But then you see him genuinely become a leader. Yeah. And just the way that him choosing and getting Jude to release him from her control and how that just allows that that power to just go off like full tilt is, is really great to see. One of the things too, that I really like, and I think one of the things we kind of talked about last week too, is how people sometimes have a hard time connecting to Cardin because of how awful he is to Jude in book one. And what I really like in this book too, is this moment of reflection from Cardin. They're, they're talking about, 
you know, their, their families, their upbringings, questions that they might have. And he says, why am I the way I am? There are no real answers, Jude. Why was I cruel to folk? Why was I awful to you? Because I could be, because I liked it because for a moment when I was at my worst, I felt powerful. And most of the time I felt powerless despite being a prince and the son of the high king of fairy. And what I like about that moment is it's not really an apology, uh, from Cardin, but what I like was what he says that, you know, there are no real answers. He's not excusing himself for what he did. And Jude is the one afterwards who goes, those sound like answers to me. You know, they, there, there are reasons why he was the way he is, but he's not letting himself off the hook. And I think that that's really important. He has enough self-reflection in that moment. Say like, yeah, no, that, that was terrible. And I was terrible and really nothing excuses it. And so for Jude to have spent two books with him and learn more about why he is the way he is and seeing how much he does care about certain things and how he is turning out to be a good King for her to say, no, that's, that's your past. That's where you've come from. I just, I love that like moment of, of kind of growth for both of them. I also love that moment. Like it's not a direct apology or anything for the way that he's treated her, but um, in that proposal scene where he's like, I wasn't kind Jude, not to many people, not to you. I wasn't sure if I wanted you or if I wanted you gone from my sight. So I would stop feeling as I did, which made me even more unkind. But when you were gone, truly gone beneath the waves, I hated myself as I never have before. And it's just, <laughs> yeah, Corinne's face. You can't see it, but it just melted down. Th- there was a whole journey. Yeah, I think that this is better than an apology, honestly, because Mm -hmm. he is acknowledging the bad behavior. He's not making any excuses for it at all. And he's at this point already shown that he's behaving differently. So Mm -hmm. like he's saying I was a shit and has proved that he's better and done all of these things to kind of repair that relationship. And it's just... I don't know. I, I really appreciate that. And like an enemies to lovers, you know, there's so much of like, oh, it's all a misunderstanding or, you know, mm-hmm. I kind of get annoyed with the face and of like resand just being like everything I did to you was for you because it's a little cheap compared to like, yeah, I was okay. actually kind of shitty and like I... I'm better now. That's a really like, good point. Yeah, no, that's a uh, friend of the pod, Jenna, who was on our episode last week, always brings this up with regards to the book, The Hating Game, which I'm going to like briefly spoil. So like fast forward a second here, if you are not interested in being spoiled for that book, but it's billed as one of the best like enemies to lovers stories called The Hating Game. You think they hate each other. And it's a great, I love this book. It's a great book. But the end, the reveal is how much he loved her the whole time. And he literally paints the walls, the color of her eyes in his bedroom. It's like, that's not enemies to lovers. Like, no, like it's not a misunderstanding. It's not like one person hiding their feelings the whole time. Like, as we said last week, these two, Cardin and Jude, hate each mm-hmm. other. And they have and reasons doesn't matter to hate each other. If Cardin does have feelings for her and is attracted to her, he still hates her through most yeah. of that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the first time I read the series, um, I was pretty put off by Cardin's actions. Like I was not really able to like overcome them so, so quickly. And it really took this book, I think, to, to really be all in on it. Um, even though obviously it's, I felt similarly. Yeah. The, the vibes are there, but I was just like, he does all these, like the, the thing that really sticks with me is him tearing the wings off of the, yeah. the boy. That's that what got me too. so cruel. And, and he has those smaller moments with Jude. And I think the reveal that he does 
like he's obsessed with her and he likes her, it doesn't absolve him. It just makes it more complicated than we initially thought. Yeah. But that's what makes moments then like, okay, we have that moment in the first book, which is very distressing to read. But then we have moments in this book where he like actually sits and listens to the two fairy dealing with like, what is it? The harp or the the lute, I think. The the lute. Yes. Liar. Um, and he, he actually listens to them and he is annoyed that at this like petty squabble that they've brought before the king, but he does it. And Jude kind of looks at it like, huh, like, look at him. He's actually, and he finds a fair solution. Yeah. So again, I think that's what is make, that is what makes Cardin's journey so fascinating. I think it's what for me makes it a very compelling arc for him across the series. It's not done yet, but like. I, the growth and development and never excusing why he was the way that he was, is just, it means a lot. And again, we get other little moments here too, of seeing how he's, he really is a good King. Even when he's under Jude's command, he doesn't even fight at all on her, you know, making hit him declare that they can't glamor mortals into service, like all of this stuff that he's doing. And he's not really giving her a lot of pushback because he knows that she's making the right decisions. And I, I love this. He says this to her while, or about when she was in the undersea, while you were gone, I had to make a great many decisions. And so much of what I did right was imagining you beside me, Jude, giving me a bunch of ridiculous orders that I nonetheless obeyed. So like he is embodying her to be the King. And then he just, he, she gives him the ability and the, the confidence and the, the, the direction to start making some of those decisions on his own. I just, I also feel like between the two of them, like Cardin always kind of like acts like he gets why Jude doesn't like him. Like, I feel like another mean, like reform mean person would be like, why don't you trust me now? But I feel like Cardin gets it. And he's like, I'm just going to let you come to me. I'm just going to be like, um, I give, I'm going to let you give me commands and in time you'll trust me and I'm not going to push it. Like I get it. He knows what role he plays in Jude's life, you know, right. up to that point. Yeah. And that's what makes all the conversations about trust at the end of this book. So compelling too, because he, he's the one who's extending that olive branch and he's the one who's saying, look, like I do trust you. I mean, We'll talk about Taryn in a minute here, but like, you know, he's, he's, he's poisoned and he's like tired and he's sick when Taryn comes in, but you know, Taryn's also wearing those earrings, which I feel like plays a role in Cardin not recognizing. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah, Because of the way he sees Jude. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. That's a very good point. Uh, but when he says she didn't have to command me, Jude, she didn't have to use any magic. I trust you. I trusted you. It's just like, oh, the, the it, it's such a good combination of character growth and the connection between Jude and Cardin, but also all the plotting and scheming here. Like, it's just a perfect like storm of all of that coming together. And it just means a lot in that moment because you get betrayal from Taryn and you get Cardin being like, 
I just want to, I'm doing things because I want, I, cause I trust you and I want you to trust me too. He goes on to say, if Taryn had given me a command, I would have known it wasn't you, but I was sick and tired and didn't want to refuse you. I didn't even ask why Jude, I wanted to show you that you could trust me. You didn't need to give me orders for me to do things. I wanted to show you that I believed you'd thought it all through, but that's no way to rule. And it's not even really trust when someone can order you to do it anyway. And so like, that's just a great foundation for marriage. I think like you're yeah. putting your cards on the table. You're talking about trust in a really like healthy and mature way. I just, I'm obsessed with this book. Can we talk about tell. the scene, uh, at the, at the wedding where like they have already had their, their sexy moment. And it, to me, it seems like Cardin is hoping that he is going to maybe spend the night with Jude mm. at the wedding. And Jude is like, I forbid you to like spend the night alone. Better yet, get guards. And then he's like, a veritable just... orgy. <laughs> and he seems like kind of excited about the idea. And then as soon as it becomes clear that, you know, she wants to keep her distance and she's going to command him. He just, I think the line is like, you know, he um, seems like he was like a bit by the the unexpectedness of getting an order now like yeah (laughs) because it was gonna it was a cute bantery moment between them and then she you know I can just feel the expectation (laughs) yeah in Cardin of like ooh, you know let's do more of that and then her giving him this command um and just kind of shutting him down and I just really love like trust as the kind of ongoing theme throughout this book like we get from the beginning, Jude's repeated, like, you know, someone you trust has already betrayed you and it, and it informs so many decisions that she makes and so much of what she does. And then you have Cardin on the other hand, trying so hard to be somebody that's worth trusting, you know, that, that Jude can trust and showing that he can trust her. And then having that all culminate in the end with, with him thinking that they've reached this place where he can be like, you know, even at the wedding scene and he's going, like, look, I can't lie. I'm telling you right now, like, we're get, we'll get married. We'll do this, you know, um, and, and then you'll be the queen. And then having it, you know, when he banishes her, him thinking like, oh, isn't this fun? Like, we're pulling a we're pulling the sheet over everybody's eyes. Like, they, they don't even know that we're married. You can just come right back and I can fulfill my my duties to the undersea by, you know, quote unquote, punishing Jude for killing Belkin. And, you know, he's, he thinks he can have his cake and eat it too, because he thinks that they have reached this place of like mutual trust. But Jude has been so, she's so primed for betrayal because of everything that's happened throughout this book. And because of that running theme of somebody you love will betray you that it just doesn't work. So just having all of that work that both of them are doing throughout this and have it culminate in that it's, it's really good. It's devastating, but it's really good. It's really well done. Like what I think is interesting, obviously this book is like a huge cliffhanger and, uh, Tasia read, you read these in real time. Mm -hmm. So you had to wait. Yeah. It was fucking awful. (laughs) But I think (laughs) there is a lot of like, it sounds like from what you told me, what Jesse has told me that there was a lot of fun theorizing online and like pretty soon thereafter, it's like, you go back and read it once the shock wears off and it's very, very clear. So that's why I don't think it's a spoiler to talk about Mm -hmm. like, Clearly Cardin is like, yeah, I mean, I think I was trusting of Cardin the whole time I was reading it. Yeah. Literally before I finished this, after I finished this book, before I started the next one, because I read them while they were out. So I was doing back to back. You and Jess were like, look at the language of what he says. And it's like, okay, like it's, it's just, it was out there. It's there. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. in the, in the next book, they call it a riddle. And I just like, 
I don't even think it's that clever. Like, yeah, it's, it's not. really, really obvious. It's not like, I feel like a riddle has to rhyme a little or something. Yeah, this is just like him giving a punishment with a really obvious like out. Yeah, yeah. And, and there is that scene where where she thinks he looks at me for a long moment, but his gaze is mild as though he's expecting me to be fine with exile. It's like, because he is, because this is an exile. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And so I think that's what makes this really interesting and why I think, you know, we don't view it as a spoiler to like, but you yeah, know, I think that everything is very clearly there on the page. And what is very shocking for Jude is exactly what you said, Tasha. The fact that betrayal has been running through this entire book from the beginning, we have Nikesha telling her someone you love has already betrayed you. We get ghost betrayal, which is devastating. I quite frankly mm-hmm. forgot about it and was so mad when I got to it. And I was like, ah, you better be kidding me. And then, um, so she's Karen primed again. for this at the end. She's totally primed for it. And I think, you know, she's learned so much and thought so much about how Carden can't lie. Carden can't lie. And like everything he said to her, and that lead up to that moment is not a lie. She knows this, but I think she's so shell-shocked in that moment. She's avoiding all of the obvious signs uh, that he's giving her, like that line you just read about how he gives her this look like, okay, here we go. Like, we're going to play this game. She, and I think too, you know, she has been fighting her feelings for him this entire mm. book. And they finally get to a spot where like they had a sweet wedding night together. It's like kissing and cuddling and like, that's the thing about loving someone, right? Like, especially someone that you had a lot of trust issues with and a lot of hate issues with hate issues with it, it makes a moment like that. Like you're primed for, uh, for her interpreting yeah. it the wrong way. She, yeah. I mean, she says it like during the wedding scene where she's like, you know, maybe I can finally allow myself to love him. And then something like that happens. Of course, of course, she's going to immediately think like, what have I done? I'm, I'm an idiot, you know, for trusting him. So, I mean, I do not blame her in the least for taking it that way. I think in her position, I would have also taken it that way. Well, what what hurts the most to me is when she says, but I'm the queen and yeah. everyone <laughs> laughs at her, including Cardin. Like, I can't even reread that scene. I'm like, yeah. I just skip over it. It just hurts to the mm-hmm. core because the whole time I was thinking, there's a there's a way out there like Cardin isn't really doing this but then when that happens I'm like I don't even know what to yeah like can she just come back like will people believe her like yeah because they all just laughed at her and it hurts she does note that there's like a pause like he laughs a beat later than everyone else because he's always he's playing the role he's doing what he has to do at that point and yeah it hurts I know it does (laughs) well and it Contagia, I think you uh, talked about this too with me off air. And I think you noted in the notes about like how Cardin makes the choice to marry her then because he, the writing's on the wall. He knows this coming. He knows she probably did just kill Balkan. Yeah. I think he knows right away because I, I mean, doesn't he like wake her, like call her into the throne room or something? And she's like, oh my God, he knows. Of course he knows. Like, well, he says, he says that he didn't know until that morning. Yeah, I don't think he knew for sure, but I think he knew when she went out to she comes back with blood under her yeah. fingernails. Yeah, still, I you think know, like... yeah, I think he's he gives himself plausible de- deniability, and mm-hmm. he like mm-hmm. purposely sets himself up with a wall around him. He says, "I don't want Belkin to die," which is true. I don't think he wants any of his family to die, but it doesn't yeah. mean he knows that he. It doesn't mean he. Uh, 
thinks that Jude won't kill him. It just, it allows him to say, I didn't want him to die. And then I think too, in the morning, what's really telling. So like wedding day morning, the guards come and they're like, you need to come in right away. And he's so drawl about it. He's just like queen of the underseas. She's here demanding justice for her ambassador. And he goes, I just bet she is like, he's just very like chill about the whole mm-hmm. thing. And he doesn't even, he doesn't bat an eyelash. And obviously Jude has a lot of moral conflict about killing. And she, we see that throughout the book. So she's feels upset that she did it, even though she knew she had to in that moment. And so like all of this is compounding in her mind. But if you just stop as an outside observer, like we are and look at Carden's reaction, he's just so blase about the whole thing. Like, obviously he's fine. He's chill, Jude, but like, it's hard. And it really is from his perspective. It's, it's a master stroke. It's like such a good strategy here to like, he suspects that Jude has killed his brother. He knows that the undersea is going to throw an absolute shit fit about it. He knows that he doesn't want to really exile her. He doesn't want to kill her. um, And he doesn't want to have to marry Nikasia. So like, this is just a really smart thing to do. Marry her, pretend to exile her. You get, you know, you get to have your cake and eat it too. I think I'm going to disagree. I think that it's mostly about their like relationship to each other. I don't know. I just think it's more motivated. Maybe he does have some idea, but I think that it's like him truly wanting, like he feels like this is the ultimate way to get you to trust him. I do think that like, there's an element of that there to it. Like he, he wouldn't be doing it unless he actually genuinely wanted to, but I think the timing of it is about a protection thing. Yeah. I think, I think there's, the protection element, I think definitely comes into play. I think it also has to do with some of the things he says earlier in this book. He says, you know, while you were in the undersea, I looked into the relationship between the undersea and the land and, you know, studied our history. And like, he's, he's doing all that. And then he says, we need to show Nick, uh, to show Orla that I'm no feckless King. And so like, he's plotting in a lot of ways too. And the way that he can ultimate he can't do what he needs to do as king under Jude's thumb. Like mm-hmm. that's a fact and that has nothing to do with their relationship. Like, but that sure. doesn't mean he doesn't want them her to trust him for his own selfish personal reasons. Like he he's in love with this girl. Like he wants to have her trust him. So I think there's definitely multiple different things going on here. Uh, so he has to marry her to like and have her relinquish her command over him. Uh, I think he does want to protect her too. Uh, but also I, obviously he's just, he's a simp and he's, <laughs> he's all in. So there's, that's what makes it so juicy and so fascinating. Like there's so many things going on there at the end. And yeah, I like, it. I like it a lot. And I mean, which makes it good because then there is the question of like, did he really exile her? You know, like, cause there needs to be that question in the reader's minds. Yeah. And we didn't talk about the language of the banishment, like what he says at that time. It's like, but he banishes her until the crown says that she can come back. And like, she's the crown now. I mean, it's, yeah. it's very, again, as non-biased readers who aren't in that situation, it's easy for us, I think, pretty well immediately to look at it and say like, that's right there. Like there's, yeah. there's that it's, that's what the words are. Uh, and again, the benefit of having like however long between books, I'm sure was helpful and like people parsing that out, but yeah, no, it still is like a super <laughs> shocking ending. I know. Uh, 
but yeah, it is a super shocking ending. It is. I, I, I'm just more uh, forgiving of, of Jude for reacting the way she does and thinking she's I am too, been, yeah. been banished because like she, she just really uh, has every reason to doubt everything that she goes through. And so I get it. I get why she, mm-hmm. she thinks the worst of him in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I also like how this was seated in the, in the beginning too, because at some point Jude thinks about how marriage is, marriage is unusual among the rulers of fairy, because once a ruler, one remains a ruler until death or abdication. And really you read the end of this book and you just need to go read these words again, death or abdication. She is neither dead nor has she abdicated. So yeah, she is still ruler. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's all, all the pieces are there if we want to put them together after the fact, but again, she's got blinders on. It's an emotional moment. You react and she, Jude is very reactive in general. So, uh, but like, (laughs) just like everything though, in the lead up between Carden and Jude in this book, I mean, we talked about all the trust stuff, but like the interplay of like, not just trust, but how their feelings, you know, uh, play into each other. I just think that this book is so juicy in that regard, like all of their moments of kind of low key banter that she doesn't even realize our banter at the time. Cause she's used to thinking the worst of him, but I just, I just love it so much. Like, I just want to highlight a few moments. Cause before we go into our full swoon section at that, end, cause I'll have more there, but like, you know, yeah. when they're talking about like the command she gives him after he's made high king and he's just so like yeah i know you're gonna command me he's like she goes <laughs> you're never to deny me an audience or give an order to keep me from your side and he goes why so ever would i want you to leave my side and she thinks he's being sarcastic <laughs> but it's like the boy cannot lie like he literally wants you by side at all time and i love when he says this too just made me laugh aloud and you may never order me arrested or imprisoned or killed not hurt not even detained what about asking a servant to put a very sharp pebble in your boot? He asked expression, <laughs> annoyingly serious. It's like the teasing. I just I can't. It's just, it's so good. There's so many little moments like that. Well, that, and, and like, yeah. And those moments where he uses, you know, the, the language of him not being able to tell a lie to, to give these like uncomfortable truths when, like when she's being made the queen of mirth and, Locke is trying to put him on the spot and he's like, tell us how you really feel about Jude. And he, he says, um, I have too often been troubled by dreams of Jude. He says, voice carrying her face features prominently in my most frequent nightmare. Mm-hmm. Then they call her beauty distressing too at one point. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, no, he's like literally. And Jude takes it as like an insult, but it's like, yeah. Ah. yeah. And just like Carter being turned on every time Jude tells him oh he hates God. her. Or she hates oh my him. god just, that running evil. that running line throughout this book is so much every time um that, yeah. that whole like say say it again whenever she says i hate yeah. you it's it's a lot um a, a very low-key moment too that i love is the door knocker at uh Hall oh Hall yes calling june my prince's lady and she's like no i'm not he's she's like mm. the door knocker's like i'm not really ever wrong so <laughs> <laughs> It's just all those little little moments are so good. I just, I love the complexity of the relationship because it starts out in the first book as like, like this uh, hate fueled, like obsession of like lust. And you know that that's there. Then they agree to like work as a team. And then that kind of gets 
backtracked because dude like tricks Carvin, but they're still working as a team and that builds up again. And they're still, they still have the lust and like slowly more of that affection and friendship and like the other, you know, to have like this more consummate love, like it all starts building, but they're all going at like different, like on different cylinders, I feel like in in this book. And there's kind of like a push and a pull to move forward with each of those things. Well, one of the things I said to Tasia off air too, is like Cardin has always been a step ahead of Jude in terms of every facet of their relationship. Yes. Just literally when it comes to the political machinations, when it comes to their feelings for each other, he's the one out there saying things like what I, some of those things I just said. So there's all these little, little moments of Cardin outwardly saying things to Jude about what he feels for her and we know we're in her head that she is wrestling with her feelings with him but he's the one who has like the courage or whatever to put it out in the world now so like you're totally right Tiffany that they're they're on different levels in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and I think that's what all leads into the end too is that Cardin has laid out for her how much he trusted her for so, for so long and why you know he Taryn was able to pull it over on him etc cetera, etc cetera. Jude's not there yet. And that's fine. He thinks because they've gotten married that she's ready for that, yeah. you know, to be in that headspace now. Yeah. And, and it's kind of just a miscalculation on his, on his part. But I do, I mean, even earlier when she's thinking back on like the aftermath of their, of their hookup and, um, she, she thinks, I keep thinking of the steady way he looked at me when we were both naked before he pulled on his shirt and fastened those elegant cuffs. We should have called truce. He'd said, brushing back his ink black hair impatiently. We should have ca- called truce long before this. Like he was ready then, like, and she, <laughs> it's just really upsetting. Breaking down. Great. It's fine. Um, yeah. Should we talk then a little bit more about Jude in this book? Because, you know, I, I think it's a little bit of a, a messy book for Jude. It's very much like a second book in a trilogy book for Jude, I think, because we see a lot of forward growth for her in the first book culminating in this awesome scheme that she pulls off. But in this book, she's really like wrestling a lot with the power that she's obtained, how she wields it. But yet, like she's in this position where she can't really reveal the extent of her power. And so therefore she still has to be diminished in a lot of ways. And I think it's just, she's vacillating between a lot of feelings and uncertainty again, which I think leads into the end of the book and how easy she is to, to feel like she's been knocked down by Cardin in that moment. But I think it's, it's really fascinating to see her, her struggle with that in this book. In the continuing line of like her complicated relationship with Maddox and how she, even after all of this is still like, she knows he's that she's desperate for his approval, but he also knows that. And, and like, the whole thing of there being like a genuine respect that he has for her now, since she's been able to pull over this whole scheme, but um, he's still, and he'll compliment about compliment her about it. But in the sense that he's still trying to manipulate her, it's just all very crunchy. I have a good line. Um, So after the queen of mirth thing, they're talking and he's trying to get her to come to his side and he says, cause the Jude I knew, I knew would have cut out that boy's heart for what he did to you tonight. And then Jude responds. The only difference I can tell between tonight and when I endured indignities without complaint is that those benefited you. And when I endure this, it benefits me. It's and such just, a good exchange. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. 
Neven compliments her on that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that response. Yeah. And it's like he the fact that he has the decency to be shell-shocked in the moment where she's like, I have already been humiliated and treated horribly here. And he's like, I didn't know. And she goes, you didn't want to know. Mm-hmm. And like, I think, again, I said this last episode too, I really think that their relationship frames this series in such a good way because I read a negative review of this series once that was like, I don't really understand Jude's motivation. Was it power? That doesn't really like endear me to a heroine. Like they just want to be in power, but it's like what I think is so good about Jude and like why I like her quest for power in this book is because she has been raised by this father figure who trades in power and has trained her in that way. And she knows that the way that she asserts her own autonomy in this world is by gaining power. And it never comes off as that she's power hungry. She's wants power for survival to establish her own self-worth. Cause that's what you do in this world. And that's what her father figure in Maddox has told her her whole life is the way to establish value. Yeah. I was going to say what's wrong with like a, a world in which this powerless person that's, that's been oppressed throughout their life, like grabbing for some power. There's nothing fucking wrong with that. Well, she, yeah. I mean, she is saved by, you know, being empowered by Dane mm-hmm. with the Gesh. Like she would have jumped off of that tower in the first book, you know, like she needs to get this power, like some sort, some type of power in order to avoid being like killed or hurt yeah, or yeah. abused in this world. And even, you know, like she's not playing by the rules, Taryn, but Taryn was, and she still gets fucked over by people. Like you have to have power in this world. So, yeah. And I do think too, one of the things that people sometimes struggle with in this series is like, why doesn't she just leave and go to the mortal world? And I, I, it, it works very well for me how it's laid out is like, this, that's not her home. She feels out, an outsider there too. And she says that very clearly in this book, like Heather asks, like, why do you stay here? And she's like, it's home. It's what she knows. And it would be very hard for her to go back. And I don't think it's wrong too, that, you know, she would rather have the danger that she knows in fairy versus the danger that she'd still be in you know, she says to Vivi, like danger can find me in the mortal world too, but at least in fairy, I, I control what happens to me. And I just think that's all really compelling. Uh, and so I get it, but she definitely is like dealing with a lot here. What I like about the power, um, uh, this quest for power or maintaining it, which is laid out with the prologue here too, um, is that she is so, interested in keeping herself safe that she's you know wants to accumulate as much power as possible is willing to sacrifice so much to keep that power but at the end of the day like she still has to let go of some of that power in order to be like happy and safe and you know like she can't just strong arm her way to that safety that she wants she has to like let go of some of that power if she wants to wants to be fulfilled in life that's a, that's a really good way. That's a really great way to look at it. Yeah. I mean, and that really makes her development by the end of this book, you know, rewarding in a lot of ways because she's willing to, to give up her power over Carter to marry him. I'll try not to melt down again. Um, but I do really, what I do really like about you in this book too, is the way that we see her, like really just starting to play the game really well, though, even though she has a lot of self doubts, like 
her teasing information out of Nikasia multiple times here is so well done. Uh, and I like, um, the way, like, even though Cardin's mother, Lady Asha is like, here, I have all this information about your mother. She's like, she gets too much satisfaction in the telling. I'll have the information with, from her without so many bargains. She's playing the game and she's doing well. And I like it. Even when she's held prisoner, she's just like, okay, here's my plan. I'm going to get this information while I can. And I'm like, girl, just survive. Like, yeah. Just- yeah. And so I'm just always impressed with Jude when she's like ready. Yeah. Even though she's pretending to be under a glamour too. And, and Pilkin's like, now you know how it feels to be a prisoner. How is it to rot in a cell to think you will die here? And she says, I don't know. I tell him I always knew I was getting out. I just fucking <laughs> love her. I love her. Yeah. The, the undersea stuff is very, very hard to read. What I very much appreciate about Holly's writing is that she doesn't prolong the suffering. Like she's there for a month, but we get just enough written on the page to realize what a shitty, awful month that was without having to read it page after page. Right. And I think what's really impressive about these books too is they are relatively short, which is, as I was saying to Tasia, really the only way we could be doing this series back to back to back like we have been is because these are like only 300 something pages books. They're very, very short, but they pack a punch and they pack so much in in such a deft way. It's, it's, it's so well done. But yeah, the undersea part, I'm so proud of her and how she concocts this whole scheme. Girlfriend has to pretend she's sleeping on a feather bed with like five duvet covers and she's re- and she knows she's on the floor. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I so love good. the way she taunts Nikasia into like hurting her too. Like she she knows that it's not going to end well and she's like I got to say it anyway. Like I yeah. got to be an asshole. <laughs> yeah, I usually don't love like female characters like you know getting into it over a guy it's just like okay but I think it's just really well done here and I think there's enough I I I think Nikesha's role is not she's not just a a jilted like acts of Cardin's but she's the one who made choices that took her away from Cardin in the first place and she has a very big political role to play so it it all feeds in really well so that like when Jude's like yeah, I kissed him a lot of times. Like it, it, it doesn't feel so like catty. It, mm. There's a lot of reason, there's a lot of depth behind it, but it still makes it like very fun and enjoyable for you to be like, yeah, he's in me. What of it? And I love that that's really like one of the only times that Jude embraces the fact that she and Cardin have this thing is to like throw it in Acacia's face. It's like, I do. I love that it's petty, but it's also like with a, with a purpose, you know, like, yeah. Like she, she needs to get in for, you know, she needs to talk Nikasia enough to get information from her and, you know, cherry on top. She has to be petty while she does it. That's going to be like a new like t-shirt for me or like my own personal slogan, petty with purpose. (laughs) (laughs) I love the, the, the one line where she is, she tries to get you to tell her like why Cardin gave her the position just like I kissed him and then I threatened to like do it some more and her <laughs> response is just like outrage at it. It's so good. Um, one moment too that's like chilling, but I'm also like, damn, Jude, like respect where she takes all of her stuffed animals and lines them up next to her and then burns them all. She goes, I'm no longer a child and I don't need comfort. It's like, oh shit, like she's turned a corner here. No going back to baby Jude from the mortal world and I love it for her. She's a bad bitch. R.I.P. to the stuffies. 
R.I.P. And I'm sad. That would make me really sad if my childhood <laughs> stuffed animals were. At least keep the snake bunch. one. Yeah, Mr. Hiss. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a funny name. It made me laugh. I guess then the next, the last real big thing we have to talk about is Taryn and Locke. Like, wah, wah, what Oh, a- God. <laughs> <laughs> like, last week when Jenna was here, Jenna was like, you know, I like Locke. Like, he he's playing games, but they're not really hurting anyone. And then it's like, oh, this book really takes a turn in that regard I mean like the audacity of this man I have that too in all cap the audacity of this man uh yeah like trying to kill Jude the night before his wedding and then having the audacity to further go on and steal her present and give it to Taryn himself see I have the audacity for Taryn asking for Jude to come to the wedding and then being like, hey, Jude, uh, my husband is being shitty. Can you do something about this? Like, excuse you. You chose this person yeah. at great expense to your sister. Like, Locke and Taryn deserve each other. Truly <sighs> deserve each other. I love in that moment, though, Jude thinks herself like, I have bigger problems than this. <laughs> can't be protecting you. When she confronts Locke and she's like, you're going to keep faith with Taryn once you're wed. If you want to take other lovers, she better be with you when you do it. And she better be into it. If it's not fun for everyone, it's not happening. And I do kind of love that moment for like consensual polyamory or nothing at all, babe. Our girl. I love the like, I will make time for you. And mm-hmm. then when she breaks into his house and she tells him to sit down and then just like kicks the chair out from underneath him. <laughs> like so right when again with the petty down. with a purpose. Yeah, it's just, it's so good. But then, like, his whole, like, I don't understand. Like, I understand, I guess I do understand why he does it. Like, him doing the whole Queen of Mirth thing, not to get under Jude's skin, but to get under Cardin's skin, is, like, really fascinating and twisted. And, like, I think he just knows, like, the writing's on the wall and that Cardin is into Jude. And, like, he knew that in the first book, too. And he kind of talked about it where he says something like, no one gets under his skin like you do, like, he doesn't like not being in a favored position. And so rather than continue to try to tear down Jude, now he's just going to be pissy with Cardin, even though it's the high king. He, the, again, I think that's the audacity, he, the yeah, of this man. He tried to hook up with uh, Jude in the first place and play that whole game in the first book is because he knew Cardin uh, liked her or wanted her in some way. Yeah. So it's just. Fuck you, Locke. I just fuck them both. Uh, that the whole Queen of Mirth scene is really hard to read, but also like the way Jude just is like, well, gotta go with it here. And again, like she says to Maddox, like this benefits me. Like I am using, I'm going along with this for reasons that benefit me. And sorry, you're uncomfortable, but like my, that's not your concern anymore. And yeah, it's just, it's really really fascinating i do like that one exchange too with taryn and jude where she talks about how she feels like she's the hero of her own story with Locke. and what does jude say something in response i could point out that taryn seems to be the one making up the story casting Locke in the role of the protagonist and herself as the romantic interest who disappears when she's not on the page i just wrote oop because that's (laughs) exactly what's happening but also i like i wrote to Taryn, you're not the hero of your own story, but it's cute that you try. And I guess like in one respect, good for you for like, again, pulling one over on your sister for your own power play, whatever, like self-validation you want by like becoming Maddox pet. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, 
I guess good for you, but like, you're not the hero of my story, Taryn. Yeah. Just the fact that she cares less about her own twin sister than she does literally anybody else in this world. And I feel so bad because there's that moment where Jude like is kind of suspicious of her for a second, but then she thinks I am ashamed of those thoughts. I don't want to think of her the way I have to think about everyone else. She is my twin and I missed her and I hope she would come. And now she has. And I just find it so upsetting because like, trust your instincts, man. Like your sister fucking sucks. And it really sucks that you have to mistrust your sister in such a way, but like, you know, that's just who she is. She's a shit. She's a shitty person. This is where I kind of start to struggle with a little bit of the writing because I feel like Jude is like, let's tear off the hook way too easily and not even in like an in-character kind of way that she's just like, going out of her way to make sure that like Taryn doesn't have a like an upset on the night before her wedding or even like threatening Locke or getting Jew or getting Cardin to like keep Locke on his best behavior like she's going so far out of her way after such a huge betrayal that like and she's not even doing anything to really like make up for that she's like oh I'll make you some clothes like that's not yeah something that's going to redeem you from this betrayal (laughs) and it continues to like I feel like even in the next book, Taryn just keeps getting let off the hook and yeah. put back into like a, a sister role that isn't as interesting as like maybe dude retaliating on Taryn yeah. or like then continuing to like be at odds with each other or I don't know. I do think in one way though, it's an interesting like comparison to Jude and Cardin though, because in some ways, what Cardin does in this book is very similar to what Jude does for Taryn. Jude has betrayed Cardin at the end of the first book, and Cardin continues to look out for her. He tries to send her away in the day of the the revelry before the Queen of Mirth thing goes on. He's like, go back to the castle. Like he has that whole parallel with the aunt, etc. So it's like, on the one hand, yes, I like hate Taryn, but like how much of how I don't like Taryn is coloring my perception of how Jude reacts to her when really, I don't think it's totally dissimilar between like how Cardin treats Jude despite betrayal, because it's complicated by intense feelings of uh, intense feelings for that person. I mean, especially Taryn has been the one person who supposed to have been there for her, her whole life. So I like, I get it. Like I, I personally think she lets her off the hook too much, but I, I also see why she doesn't. I find it, I mean, I do find it very frustrating the way she keeps giving Taryn chances um, and letting her off the hook, but I don't necessarily think that it's out of character because um, Taryn has consistently, like, you know, growing up been this person, the only other human around really that was kind of in this, in the trenches with her trying to survive all of this. So she feels like, you know, she knows she can't trust the fairies, but she wants to trust her sister so badly that she's willing to give her passes for so much shitty behavior because she's kind of desperately clinging to this relationship. She doesn't want to lose it. And I think she knows that if she really were to make Taryn pay for everything that she's done, she's losing that relationship. Yeah. Uh, Before we dive into the superlatives here and wrap up, let's talk about Vivi briefly. I know, Tiffany, you have some notes written down about Vivi and Heather and... I think that relationship is a little fucked up, but <laughs> I think Busy it's so why? interesting because, you know, it, like Jude, as much as she loves Vivi, she knows that like there's this power that Vivi has over Heather just from the 
the fact of her being a fairy over over uh, Heather's human. But it, I don't know, it just kind of goes to show like how you can have good intentions and like love somebody and like somebody, but if you're not aware of that power dynamic and you're not thinking about it and trying to kind of almost make up for it, then you could take advantage of people you love and really hurt them. Yeah. And even like Taryn in that moment, as another mortal is mad at like how Vivi like glamorous Heather and like all that stuff. It's, it's very interesting how, like, you know, there's that age old debate of nature versus nature versus nurture and Jude and Taryn are not Maddox biological children. And yet they allowed themselves to uh, be raised by him in a more direct way than Vivian who pushed back against him as her father for her whole life. But then like also the apple doesn't fall so far from the tree when it comes to, to Vivi, that's her dad for better or worse. And like, she displays a lot of some of the things that Maddox does sometimes. So like, I do find it interesting that like Vivi, the one who most hates fairy and wants to get away from it and wants to live amongst the humans is also, you know, by her nature, like you said, the one that is the most like them. Yeah. Yeah, just so she, she can't help it. And mm-hmm. she, it, again, the the self self assurance that she can just like take her girlfriend into fairy and like everything's gonna be fine. And like it's just like maybe she's like all, all of the lines about like oh we're taking a fairy like oh will this fit into your car and you're just like oh my god Vivi. <laughs> she leaves it up to Jude to like explain this stuff away too like she's and- just washing her hands of any responsibility. And the hurt that Oak feels in the reveal of the glamour. Yeah. He's so excited. He thinks Heather's going to be so into it that he has magic. And then she's like terrified and poor Oak is so crestfallen. Uh, It's, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. So these sisters, man. Well, I think it's interesting that um, Judy even notes that she feels kind of responsible for the glamour on Heather that like, she didn't let Vivi know how difficult it was. And it's obviously not Jude's fault, but like that sort of responsibility that she feels to make sure that like the the folk understand yeah, how that, vulnerable they can be and like how hard it is on humans. Yeah, that's a real, I, I do like that moment from Jude where she's like, I've worked so hard to keep this from my family. And now like I should have done more. It's It's a good moment of reflection. Alrighty. Let's dive into some superlatives here. We will start with favorite quote. We all have a lot written down. Love this for all of us. So we'll just go back and forth in a circle. I'll start. Part of like cracks me up in this book, which is where a lot of my quotes come from. Um, this is from when, uh, after Nikesha, like almost accidentally assassinates him, uh, out of jealousy, uh, and Jude's trying to figure out where she came from in the room. Inside, it appears merely a wardrobe overstuffed with Cardin's clothes. I pull them out, letting them fall to the floor in a pile of velvet cuffs, satin, and leather from the bed. Cardin makes a sound of mock distress. How old fashionista. <laughs> this makes me laugh. It's like mock distress, but like, you know, he's distressed, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Tiffany. Um, I'm going to pull this one. It's an, a nice moment that I like between Taryn, which is rare. And when I look at my new clothes, though, I think of all the good that comes from someone knowing you well enough to understand your hopes and fears. I may not have told Taryn all the awful things I've done and terrible skills I acquired, but she's dressed me as though I had. I think it's like a really 
interesting like take on clothing and like styling and how it's like infused with your hopes and what you want for the future and just that reflection of someone being able to understand that you know it's nice for Taryn yeah Asia this is uh from Locke he says your ridiculous family might be surprised to find that not everything is solved by murder Locke calls after me we would be surprised to find that I call back love those moments from sass from dude so good uh, again, this is a continuation after Carden sets fire to his rooms and there's the assassination attempt. They go back to Jude's room for, for safekeeping. Sure, Jude. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and Carden goes, where do you really sleep here? Perhaps you ought to set fire to your rooms as well. <laughs> bitch, Carden. He's, he's such a bitch. I love him. But I love the scene when Dulcamara comes to visit visit jude and she calls her she says you're a good little murderer mm-hmm. <laughs> she is she is it's our girl Tasha. it seems i have a singular taste for women who threaten me uh it's from Cardin, obviously i uh, love that for him and also for me totally i do also love in that moment that's after nikesha again uh, is wielding this mm-hmm. weapon that she should not be but he he says how he thinks it was maybe Jude, but then he realized Jude wouldn't have missed. Respect. Okay. This, again, I picked only funny Cardin ones apparently here today. Um, this is when he's been poisoned and he is kind of in and out of it, but he says something pithy to Jude and she goes, glad you're up to mocking. I hope it's the last thing about me to go. Priorities. Uh, me too, babe. This one is after the Selkies come up to um, force Nikasia on on Cardin with marriage. And he says, I have no bit of doggerel to send back my own fault for not having a seneschal that can double as my court poet, but I will be sure to crumple up some paper and drop it into the water when I do. (laughs) (laughs) Again, Cardin being a bitch and they eat it up. Deja. Uh, This is from Cardin. (laughs) Sorry, I love this one. Uh, The three of you have one solution to every problem, murder. No key fits every lock. Card gives us all a stern look, holding up a long-fingered hand with my stolen ruby ring still on the finger. Someone tries to betray the high king, murder. Someone gives you a harsh look, murder. Someone disrespects you, murder. Someone ruins your laundry, murder. (laughs) Just him scolding the whole court of shadows. (laughs) And the court of shadows, like... It's very Matthias. Yeah. Yeah. It's very Matthias. Good, good, good one. Um... I don't have anyone. I don't have any other ones. So Tiffany. When um, during the queen of mirth scene and Jude is just like lying to everyone's face as her only, um, only option. She says, if the insult to me is pointing out that I am mortal, then this is my repost. I live here too. And I know the rules. Yeah, that's good. It's a good moment. Uh, and then do you have one more there? Will you dance with me? For I find you every bit as beautiful as you find me. And Cardon responds, I'd be delighted. I love that it's meant to be an insult, but it's also like not. Yeah. AKA the entire yeah, Cardin their entire story. relationship. She's just so furious. And he's like, yeah, let's dance together. <laughs> All right. Favorite character and favorite character arc. For me, the, my favorite arc is Cardin's for the reason we talked about. I just think like he goes a long way in this book and it's really great to see. And I have to say he's my favorite character too. It's just like, 
it's inevitable. I mean, I literally melted down about five times today on this podcast talking about him. So there can be no other choice. <laughs> Tiffany. Uh, so I cheated and I said Jordan. Um, you know, I think if you put the names together, it counts as one character, right? <laughs> um, we cheat constantly. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that the way that they, the arc of, of them specifically kind of finding like a safe space, like making a safe space for the other to like let their guards down and like let go of their defense mechanisms is just so, I love to see the way that they grow into each other. Yeah. The moments where they, where Jude thinks like how she just wishes she could like go to him and like melt down is, is really nice to read. Yeah. I have same. Nothing more to add. And favorite character for just like great chemistry, great banter. Like the first time I reread this book, I just skipped to all of the dude and Carton scenes. It's like, I love it. <laughs> so good. So good. All right. Swoon. As if we did not swoon a lot already <laughs> here today. Staying on brand. Tasia, I'll let you go first. Uh, you know, if last book's iconic line was the... Uh, uh, I think of you often. Um, this book's is kiss me again. He says, dripping foolish, kiss me until I am sick of it. It's all good. Tiffany. Um, I'm going to go with a softer moment for them since you guys took some of the spicier ones already um, <laughs> is I really love just the, the softness of Cardin pulling Jude into the bed after she comes out of the undersea. Like that just kind of seals how Cardin is feeling about her in that moment. I'm like, oh. it's the trust. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. Like we know they want to make out and do other stuff, but that just feels like a nice little revelation for them. Excellent. I talked a lot about the ear moment last week, <laughs> and I just love Cardin Forever seeing on Brand in this book. Chapter 15, which I think Tasia is going to read a little bit of in a second. But before that, like the first step he makes when he actually finally starts kissing her versus like touching her is he presses his mouth to my ear, kissing me there. I'm like, just go for it. Go for what you you want, Cardin. I love this for you. <laughs> it's Cardin, Cardin in ears and Ronan Lynch in hands. Yeah. It, Everybody's got to have their thing. I'm just, I'm just very into like very specific body part touching. It's like my brand. <laughs> like usually rests, but we don't have that here. So I'm gonna go with the ears. <laughs> uh, and then Teja, you have some great, some great moments from that, <laughs> that chapter. Uh, yes. So um, his eyes are open, watching my flushed face, my ragged breathing. I try to stop myself from making embarrassing noises. It's more intimate than the way he's touching me to be looked at like that. I hate that he knows what he's doing and I don't. I hate being vulnerable. I hate that I throw my head back, bearing my throat. I hate the way I cling to him, the nails of one hand digging into his back, my thoughts splintering, the last single thing in my head that I like him better than I've ever liked anyone and that of all the things he's ever done to me, making me like him so much is by far the worst. This is again, one of those like almost 10 things I hate about you. I hate the way I don't hate you speeches, but um, you know, make it spicy. Oh, that she also says like before that too that uh his fingers are are too clever and I'm like mm-hmm. oh my god I can't handle it I think it's- that that whole like whole section is so good and like all of the build up the you know like give me the benefit of your 
advice or something like that. Um, I love the way it starts with him trying to like call her bluff essentially, because she asks him to seduce Nikasia for information. He's just like, Oh really? Is that what you want me to do? And so he turns it on her and, and I love that that's why he does it. And I also love that it doesn't work because at the end she's still like, yeah, go seduce Nikasia, but they're both like changed from the experience. Also the respect about like her lack of experience in that moment is really good. And he like takes her shaking hands and he kisses her knuckles. He's very gentle with her. It's all very, yeah, very good. Yeah. I think there's so many moments too of her just like expressing like the, like fear and concern and lust. And I, I almost wrote down like all of it, but <laughs> you got the most important bit. So yeah. And I'm just really, <laughs> the whole back half of that chapter is, is so, is so good. I have one last little swoon moment, which in a scene that is very soon, which is their marriage scene at Cardin giving her back the ring that he stole from her, but having it serve as like an exchanging of rings, which June comments is not a fairy custom. So he's doing this very human mortal custom for her and it's very soft and I love mm-hmm. it. Then Tasia, you have another great moment. Okay. Um, and this is kind of expanding on uh, Tiffany, your swoon moment. Uh, this is the actual, the full scene. Bilkin and Orla are planning your murder. I say flustered. Yes. He says lazily. So why did I wake up at all? I am awkwardly conscious of his physicality of the moment when he was half awake and pulled me against him because I am difficult to charm. I say that makes him give a soft laugh. He reaches out and touches my hair, traces the hollow of my cheekbone. I could have told my brother that he says with the softness in his voice, I am utterly unprepared for soft. (laughs) So soft. It's so soft. I love it so much. I also do think in that moment too, where he's like, yeah, they're trying to kill me. Like I know that. I think it all just goes to show kind of some of the things we were saying, right. About the end. Like he knows Balkan probably is going to have to be taken out here. Like Mm -hmm. this is not going to, even though he says murder is your only answer. I I think he obviously knows the writings on the wall in that regard, but He's unbothered by it because Jude's coming to his bed at night. I just, <laughs> uh, it's a lot. Um, yeah, Sunny book, Sunny book. Uh, spoiler section. We have things we need to. Yeah, let's talk spoiler section. All right, so we're gonna do a quick spoiler section here to talk about things that come up in the last book. Uh, so we'll do a quick little music cue, and we will see you uh, next week if you're not sticking around. Bye. Bye. So I think like when we talked a lot about the ending, I do think it is frustrating then to read Queen of Nothing, even though I understand it for how long it takes Jude. She like doesn't ever figure it out. That is frustrating. I will say that. Like she still sneaks back into fairy and like never quite gets there. The length of time I think is is frustrating. Not yeah. It even takes her a while to even consider that maybe he did give her that out. Like, I thought that it was more just like, he gave her the out, but who's going to believe her? And that's going to be her, like, trying to figure out how to, I don't know, um, get herself back there. But it's not. And it's incredibly frustrating. Yeah. It's hard. Also kind of like her pretending (laughs) to be Taryn in front of Gordon. So... That was so good. One I thing cannot I cannot wait to reread that. I think it's good payoff though from this book to that book is we have the moment where Cardin 
is drugged and doesn't recognize Taryn in that or doesn't recognize that it's Taryn being June in that moment. But then he, when he's at full mental capacity in the second book, he immediately is like, Hey June, what's going on? And I love to contrast that too with Locke in this book, thinking that Jude is Taryn at one point, it's like, you don't deserve anything that you're getting Locke. If you can't tell these two apart, you're just like, it shows how useless he is and how great Cardin is in comparison because Mm -hmm. Cardin would never be confused about who Jude really is versus Taryn. It's great. Um, There's the parallel of Cardin thinking of Jude, like while she's in the undersea and using that as his inspiration. And then when Cardin is the snake, Jude is like thinking of how Cardin would have done certain situations and she's kind of visualizing him. Yeah. And one of the things too, we talked about like how they kind of go for each they create the space of comfort for each other. One of the moments that sticks out most to me of this series without like actually rereading it all the time is when uh, Cardin is released from being the snake. And the first thing he, he just like kind of like collapses into Jude. Like he just goes to her for that comfort. And it's such a great payoff of all the little buildup. We get to that along the way, especially in this book, her thinking like, I need to do that. I, I, I wish I could do that with him. And they, are able to copy each other in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I do think the title for our next book, the of the last book, is a bit of a red herring because it like says that she's the queen of nothing and sets up this whole idea of her exile, but like that's not the case. And so she's in exile little, for like five minutes. Yeah, it's a little bit of subterfuge from Holly, which is a little annoying, but that's okay. Well, it's also really nice that she's not in the human world for very long because that yeah, that would have been time very felt annoying. Like it, it was dragging along. I'm like, get back to Cardin ASAP, dude. Yeah. Oh my God. Are we going to read the Cardin letters in the next episode? Yeah, I was going to read them verbatim into the podcast. They're not in the uh, in the book. Yeah, no. Well, uh, I have them in my copy of the book. Yeah. <laughs> Rub it in. Oh, <laughs> I also had to look up too because I did not remember why the ghost does what he does. And even though I understand it now, I'm still mad about it. I'm just going to say because it just it hurts to read. Like, I don't, I don't remember why he does it. Do you want me to spoil it for you here in the spoil, sec- spoil yes. section? So when he, because he, he's the one who killed Locke's mother. Mm-hmm. And so he feels guilty about that. And so he goes to Locke and gives Locke his true name, which means Locke can wield power over him. Got it. And so that's why he did it. Because Locke told him to bring Jude to the tower. So it's like Locke's motivation. Again, he's like so determined to kill Jude. Like he's, I think that is, I guess, relevant to discussing this book because it's like, the lengths this bro's willing to go to here yeah. is is kind of astounding. Like at least he's not long for this world. Doesn't he die like in the beginning of Queen of Nothing? Yes, thank God. Off page. I'm a little bit bummed for Jude that she doesn't get to kill Locke. Like Taryn didn't even earn that. Yeah, that's true. Think. That's a very yeah. good point. Yeah. <laughs> Taryn Taryn made her bed and she should lie in it. Taryn's complicit for far too long and it's yeah. really annoying. Well, and one of one of the interesting things with the ghost is you see a lot of small moments throughout the first two books of him kind of noting like a more somber reaction to the idea of someone being in someone else's control. 
Like mm. every time that comes up, he gets like a little bit like grave or quiet compared to the bomb and the roach. And um, in the first, I was rereading Cruel Prince and when it's discovered, like when he finds out that Oak survived basically, and that they're basically his mission was to kill this kid basically, because the prophecy was about Dane not getting to the throne if that kid lived. Mm-hmm. He finds out that he did live. And so all of this, like he murdered somebody for like no reason, basically, but also he gave his name for yeah. also no reason. I feel like you can kind of pick up a little bit more, I don't know, anguish and frustration. That's a really good pickup. I really, I like that a lot. I also think it's interesting to then contrast Locke and Cardin again in that you know, Locke uses the power he has over the ghost and having his name for like really bad purposes. Whereas Cardin uses his knowledge of his, the bomb's name and how he has the bomb's name to protect Jude. Like it's just totally opposites. And it's <laughs> when he says <laughs> the bomb with Jude, it's, it's great. There's a lot of low key good moments in this book. Uh, but that said, I think we talked about a lot of really yeah. good stuff in this book, like thematically. And I think you guys both pointed out things that I hadn't thought about before. And I, I really like this book. I, I think in terms of second books in a trilogy, I think it's one of the stronger ones of things that, you know, we've even covered on this podcast or like a lot of times people are like, oh, this is such a second book. And they always feel kind of like hopeless or maybe just filler. And I don't feel like that was this book at all. I, I really like this book. I think it's as strong as the rest of the series. And yeah. I think it's my favorite of the trilogy. So I'm very happy with nice. your choice in inviting me on this particular episode. <laughs> Perfect. No, it is. It's a really good book. And I think it's where the series kicks in for a lot of people too, mm-hmm. uh, because you're getting explanation for why Cardin is the way he is. And you're just learning more and it's more, you know, the, a lot of the palace intrigue in the first book is, is at the end after the assassination attempts and the coups and all of that. Uh, whereas this book, it's like constantly like mental warfare on many levels and fascinating. Good work, Holly. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Tiffany, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a long time coming. I'm so glad that you were here today. You are welcome to come back at any time. We would love to have you again in the future. Before we go, is there a way that our listeners can connect with you online in your podcast that's coming? Yeah. Um, on Twitter, you can find me at TEA Flow. Um, my Instagram, I think, is T.Flow. And my podcast, far gone conclusion, which should be in all <laughs> streaming devices soon here. Excellent. Tasia, where can listeners connect with you online? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ragey Cakes. You can find me on Instagram at Rin underscore reads. And you can find the podcast uh, on Instagram and Twitter at Act Age. You can also shoot us an email if you'd like at actagepod at gmail.com. And on that note, we would like to just briefly read uh, a great listener email that we got. Uh, we are reading this with her permission. Uh, it, it, it just thrills us uh, to hear from listeners. And uh, so thank you, Susan, for sending this in. Tasia, do you have it? Yeah. Tasia and Corinne, I just discovered your podcast this week and I'm just so happy. I thought I was the only human older than 29 who was obsessed with Ronan Lynch and I just want to cry knowing I'm not. 
I've also read TRC several times, but the insights that you share are so good. I'm only on your first Blue Blue episode, but I'm looking forward to listening to all the series that you cover because I'm also obsessed with Snowbaz and Jordan and anything written by Lee Bardugo. I'm really excited to listen to the Mr. Impossible episode because I cannot bring myself to reread it. I have been living in constant anxiety over Ronan Lynch since May. Side note, same. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There is so much more I'd like to say, but like Henry Chang, my native language is thought and I cannot adequately express how much I love this podcast. Thank you times a million. I only wish I could discuss with these books with you in person. Uh, Thank you so much, Susan. And, you know, retweet all of that. We know what it's like to, (laughs) to have to be out there in the world, not having people to talk about all this stuff with. So we are so happy you found us. Yes. And we just, we love hearing from listeners. We'd love to hear from more, not just because it like stirs our ego, which I'm a Leo. I'm allowed to say that. Like I like (laughs) self-aggrandizing, but it, it, it's just really nice to hear. Like we know people are listening. We know because we see our download stats, but it's just nice to hear from people who aren't like within our circle of friends. I mean, thank you, Tiffany, for like listening to our podcast. (laughs) Like, It's just nice to hear from other people. And, And, you know, it's, this is a lot of work and we love doing it, but it's, it, it means a lot to hear from other people that they're enjoying it. So thank you, Susan. And we'd love to hear from the rest of you too. We would love to read some more emails or some reviews. If you wouldn't mind reviewing us on Apple podcast, uh, so we could get up in the rankings there. That would be really, really helpful. Other than that, friends, we will be back next week with returning friend of the pod, Jesse, to talk about the queen of nothing and we won't be wrapping up or the series at that time because we are going to do one quick little episode after that on the Cardin novella. Uh, but we're excited to talk about the main conclusion of the action here next week. So until then, friends, have a good one. Bye. Bye. Bye.